Greetings and salutations, and welcome to yet another edition of the Cult Spark Podcast. CultSpark.com is a website offering reviews and essays on film and other entertainments of the cult and geek varieties. And this podcast is the place where you can listen to us chat about those very same things. By us, I mean me, Bob Taylor, editor at CultSpark.com, and Stuart Smith, author of The Van Damage Report, Volume 1, now available at Amazon.com. Stu, did you see what I did there? I pimped your book up front. I appreciate that. I appreciate you, Robert Brian Taylor. No trying to fit it in under the wire at the end of the podcast. I put it right there front and center. I better see a huge sales spike. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If not, the whole podcast might be in danger. Now, now, <laughs> now it's all on the line. Go buy Stu's book. Okay. So today we are going to talk about Solo, a Star Wars story, a movie I was dreading. But if you read my review online or follow me on social media, you know that, surprise, it turns out that I loved it. I thought Solo was a delightful change of pace for the Star Wars franchise, a low-key but fun sci-fi western that proves that you don't need Jedi and lightsabers and epic battles in every Star Wars film. In fact, I liked it so much, I went on the record this weekend by calling it a better movie than both The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi, Two films that certainly reach higher highs than Solo, but also have some glaring issues that this little spinoff does not have. I have very, very, very little complaints about Solo, and it's really just nitpicking stuff. I think this is a super fun Star Wars movie. Stu? Uh, I'm inclined to agree with pretty much everything you said, except for it being better than The Last Jedi. That I take umbrage with. But otherwise, I mean, I I really am with you uh, all the way here. I mean, this was... Uh, I, I had gotten to the point where I wasn't outright dreading it. Uh, a lot of the footage that I had started to see, uh, especially, you know, the, the, you know, the last full length trailer that they put out, uh, had really, you know, made me start to think, okay, maybe this will be decent. Uh, you know, but, uh, I, I didn't go in at all expecting to just have an absolute blast, uh, see, uh, you know, these characters that I love, uh, interpreted differently, which is, you know, it's some, it's rare that you get to see something like that happen, you know, but I, I thought that, I thought that it was pulled off, uh, remarkably well, especially in light of, you know, all the behind the scenes drama. Um, I, I yeah, it's just, it's just, it, it is a fun time at the movies. Uh, and it, yeah, it turned out better than I could have, uh, better than I could have expected. Certainly. I, I'm still not sure that this is a movie we needed. And I, I think the box no. o- and the box office, which we'll get into later, sort of bears that out. But I think it turned out to be l- the best this film could possibly be. Yeah. It never really finds a way or even a moment to say, this is why we needed to see, uh, you know, the origins of Han Solo, but you know what? I mean, okay, look, there, there are, there are tons of movies out there that we don't need to see, but they're fun anyway. And that's what this is. Uh, you know, the, the thing that was always the most interesting to me uh, going into this was, you know, what happens when we get a inconsequential star Wars movie as, as you know, in a manner of speaking, because everything else that we've seen up to this point, you know, it, it is, you know, it ties in specifically to things, uh, you know, that we know and love, or it's, it's part of, you know, in the case of Rogue One, where it's like, 
oh, you know, here, you know, it, it literally ties into the, the beginning moments of, of A New Hope. Uh, you know, all the, all the other movies, you know, the prequel trilogy and the, uh, you know, the, the two new numbered movies. I mean, those, those are all about building the mythos and, you know, delivering these big epic, uh, epic stories. You know, what, what happens when we get something that's just, it's just a story. It's just a movie. It's just kind of off on its own. And so that was always really fascinating to me as to, you know, what would it look like? What would a Star Wars movie look like if it was inconsequential in a way so much hand-wringing over alden ehrenreich and he ends up being fantastic in the part right yeah i he's he's great and he is great because he's not he's not playing harrison ford as han solo he's just playing han solo and there's an important distinction there and i i think that that was you know it, it was hard i mean because we've only ever had one person playing han solo it's hard to think okay how can you deviate? How can you make this role your own? Because, you know, Ford is so iconic uh, in playing Han Solo. It's just you, you don't really there's no baseline. There's no there's nowhere, nowhere else to, you know, there's no point of comparison. Uh, but he it's it's obvious that that Aaron Reich understands the character. He understands the appeal of the character. Uh, he understands the nuances of him. Uh, and he really he finds a way to dig in and to and to make it his own, which is, you know, certainly no small feat on its own. I have some friends who they like the movie, but they're still giving me the uh, the movie was good, but Aaron Reich really wasn't all that and didn't really. And I'm just I don't get it. I think he uh, as again as well as could, you were never going to get Harrison Ford reincarnated. That was never going to happen. Well, you could, and, you could, you could get that that kid from you know Age of Adeline. Who, well, right, but then if you have someone just doing a straight impression, that never works either. I don't think. Well, and, it, and it's like, what's the point of that? Right. You know, well, like how does that add anything? You know, why why is that something that you would want? I I want this is not Han from a, a, a New Hope or Empire Strikes Back or whatever. I mean, this this is a this is effectively a, in some ways it's a different. Uh, it's a different character because he's not where we uh, know him to be. And so it, it, I, and to me, it kind of helped to have someone doing their own thing with it, but in a way that was recognizable. There are parts in the movie where you can see the Harrison Ford version, almost like overlaid the Alden Aaron. Like there are a few moments where they sync up and, yeah, and I think that's kind of important. But it, I, it is because I mean he definitely he definitely let some stuff slip through, uh, you know that that shows that he you know he knows where he's going with this, he knows what people are expecting and looking for. Like to me, the the moment where that kind of shone through the most, uh, it's it's really kind of a small moment, moment, but it was actually at the very end. Uh, it's when spoilers, uh, Han and Chewie. Uh, did you give a spoiler warning? Should we warn people about spoilers? I didn't go ahead. Is that necessary at this point? I would hope not, but we're going to be spoiling the shit out of this movie to whatever extent this movie can be spoiled. <laughs> right. Um, so when Han and Chewie uh, finally track down Lando again uh, to go try and, and uh, uh, get the Millennium Falcon uh, once more, uh, it's when Han goes to, to hug Lando. It, it's I, I don't really know how to describe it, but just the way the way that he grabbed... Donald Glover and the expression that he had on his face 
Like, I mean, it just, it was pure Harrison Ford. I, I kind of agree. Most of the times when I noticed the two was also in, like, the physical performance. Sort of like the way he shoots the gun and and some of that stuff. There's a physicality to it. Like, his voice doesn't really ever sound like Harrison Ford's. No, it but doesn't. But there's a sort of a, this sort of, it's almost like this loose-limbed, excitable physicality that he has that reminds me a lot of Harrison Ford. He's got the, he's got that strut, or at least the makings of the Han Solo strut. Yeah, you know. So, he, and again, if you had someone just doing an impression, that would constantly remind you that it's not Harrison Ford. Whereas whereas Alden is not doing an impression; he's making interpreting the character his own way. And by twenty minutes in the movie, you're just along for the ride with this version of the character. You're not even thinking about Harrison Ford anymore. It just feels right. It feels like Han. Uh, the rest of the cast, I mean, we all knew Donald Glover was going to be good. He is. Um, that one, that one steered a little more toward just being an impression, but it's, it's a fun one. It is. And I think some of that comes from the fact that, you know, he just, he doesn't have as much time as, mm. as Aaron Reich does, you know, so he, uh, you know, he kind of goes for stuff that's a bit more familiar, uh, because it kind of has to be a shorthand. I mean, you, you know, since you don't get the script time or the screen time, uh, to you know, to develop Lando, you you still got to communicate something that people can latch on to. There's two things Amelia Clark needed to be able to do in this movie. She needed to have sort of immediate chemistry and a connection with Aaron Reich, which I think the two of them pull off. I buy their relationship immediately, and we had to be convinced that by the end of the movie, she was going to go dark. That she felt she was already too far deep into the what's it called, the Crimson Dawn, that there was no getting out and that that was her destiny. And as far as those two things, I think she pulled them off very well. I liked her in the movie a lot, and I would like to see more of Kira. Yeah, it's it's kind of a shame that we almost... If I were a betting man at this point, we probably aren't going to get, be getting any kind of, of you know, <clears throat> sequels to this. It but yeah, she... Like. Uh, she was she was really good. I, you know, I, I pretty much agree with everything that you'd said. Um, yeah. <laughs> she, uh, did you see Terminator Genesis yet? Uh, I saw about 20, 30 minutes of it. She's, she was about the only thing that I enjoyed. She's, I, I mean, she's miscasted it. I think she tries her best and I certainly don't blame that movie on her, but I do think she's miscast in it and it doesn't really work. She, she is um, miscast. She, she tries really, 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 really hard, you know, to do to do a great. But but never Sarah Connor. But never uh, quite gets there, and it's probably no, because of the movie around her more well, than her it, abilities. Kind of like what we were but, saying with with Aaron Reich is she just she doesn't have that physicality. Right. But uh, this film in Solo, Kira seems to be a much better fit for her, and I think Amelia Clark's fantastic on Game of Thrones. And this this seemed to be a much better fit for a talented actress. She seemed like a natural fit for the universe. I dug her in it a lot. Uh, Woody Harrelson, always good. We're basically just going through the cast one by one and saying they're good, but that's that's what this movie is. The cast is good. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Woody Woody Harrelson kind of surprised me because, like, you know, I I will always. Uh, enjoy watching him pop up just because he, Woody Harrelson I mean, is top one of the top five most enjoyable actors working today. Like I don't down. I don't know if there's anyone that is more just like like you you usually know what you're gonna get from a Woody Harrelson performance. Sure, especially uh, a non challenging one like this. Right. Where he, uh, yeah. 
you know, he's just, he's Woody Harrelson, but he's just, he's so consistently enjoyable because he's so solid. He never phones it in. Right. I was just going to say, he always commits. Even if you see him in something like the Hunger Games, he's committing to it. Right. And, uh, you know, what, what I was, what I wasn't really sure of here is, is, you know, he's always got that just kind of, you know, folksiness about him and due in large part to, you know, to his very thick and recognizable accent. Right. And that's not really something that you see a lot of in Star Wars ever is folksiness. You know, so I, I wasn't really sure, you know, how he would let that come through or if it would come through, you know, if he would give some really unexpected type of performance uh, or if it would just kind of clash with everything. But it, it he ends up working, you know, better than I thought. I mean, it, it's there. And I I mean, Woody Harrelson is, is kind of a badass gunslinger. Sure. Yeah. Why right. not? I mean, the movie plays off these sort these sort of Western archetypes, and so having a, an actor there who sort of gives off that vibe, right? I think works really well for what they're going for. And like you said, that's not normal maybe for the Star Wars universe, but it helps make this sort of a distinct entry and a little less right. samey than I mean. That's a lot of my problem with Rogue One, and we can get back into that. How I'm not a big Rogue One fan. It's just it's so samey. Whereas Solo is able to stand out a bit more. Well, what's what's really interesting with uh, with Solo versus Rogue One is that you know Rogue One admirably tried to like you know bring a lot of the the A New Hope as you know that just kind of very specific sort of you know production design aesthetic all that kind of stuff you know to the movie, uh, but it just it, it and I you know I say this as a fan of Rogue One I I still really enjoy it despite its its uh uh its myriad flaws is that you know it, it still just kind of comes off as uh as just that as as an aesthetic i i i feel like solo manages to take all that stuff and actually make it feel like it's an integrated part like i mean this really does feel more like it belongs in that a new hope era of star wars uh, than Rogue One does. Right. Rogue One feels like a copy, like a facsimile of the Star Wars universe, whereas Solo feels like a part of it to me. Uh, the other big difference between the two is that Solo gives us characters to actually care about, <laughs> where Rogue One does not. <laughs> but yes, I'm less of a fan of Rogue One than you. Okay. Uh, is L3 the best robot of the Disney Star Wars era? Uh, yeah, I'd probably say so. So ahead of BB-8. Ahead of BB-8 because BB-8 doesn't have much to him. BB-8 is very cute and adorable and gets some great comedy moments, uh, but he's not a character. L3 is a character. Absolutely. Uh, L3 has an arc. And way better than whatever is going on with Alan Tudyk's droid in Rogue One, right? I, you know what? I, I really like K2. No, he's great. He's, He's a lot of fun. Uh, and he gets he gets one of the best hero moments uh, in the finale, but uh, but no L they do really interesting things with L three that nobody has done in the Star Wars movie before. I love L three. I think she's hilarious. Uh, I see lot. And it, and they they it, they do they address with her things that like have always kind of been in the back of my mind before. But nobody's really ever taken the time to, to flesh it out because, I mean, that's just not the story you're telling. Uh, but the whole, you know, just kind of like droid 
you know, independence and, you know, self-awareness and things like that. I mean, that's, that's really fascinating. And it, it's, it's actually a huge part of Star Wars when you think about it. And, and I'm just, I, I'm tickled that they picked this movie of all movies, uh, you know, for like, this is where they kind of touch on that. Uh, going into Solo, one thing I did not expect it would address would be human-robot sex, but there it was. <laughs> Disgust. <laughs> she tells us it works. No, I think that... Who, what's the name of the actress? It's like Phoebe Walker-Bridge, is that right? Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Free Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Yeah, she's very good. I don't... Uh, she. I assume she did the motion capture, too. Maybe not, but... It's a fun performance. It's a really fun character. Well, and of- I love, I, I, I actually, you know, a lot of people are complaining, like, oh, they fridge all but one of the female characters. And, uh, you know, but I, you know, I, uh, I feel like L3 dies a hero and then they do something really interesting that, that actually makes her an even more important part of the entire Star Wars universe. Than- which, which I saw some people complaining about, saying, oh, it's a little too Black Mirror-y, and it's a little too creepy that there's this sentient being that's now the brains of the Millennium Falcon. And, I, I mean, I thought it was fine. I mean, I don't think the robot is alive in there. It's just more like it's, her... It's, it's her collected she- star charts and data and sort of the the uh, collection of her life experiences have been uploaded, but I don't think her consciousness is alive in the Falcon. No, it's not. I mean, they actually take, they don't take great pains to explain that, but it's, you know, they, they very specifically say, you know, they're uploading a portion of her memory, right? but not like her personality or anything. It's not like, you know, the ship's not going to start talking to them or anything like that. Uh, I, but I, I, I find that fascinating. I, I think that's one of the, really cool things that, that, that flushes this movie out, uh, and really, you know, and actually adds something, uh, you know, to the whole uh, mythos, if you will, in a really unexpected way. I don't really buy the fridging argument just because most of the new characters die. I mean, Beckett dies, the four-armed John Favreau-voiced alien dies, uh, the female lead, Kira, lives, so, I don't know. Nest lives. Yeah. Uh, she's so great too. I mean, how great is? How, it, I don't know if it's the best name because I can never pronounce it. It sounds like a place instead of a person. But Infus Nest loved her outfit, loved her little arc, loved the reveal. Thought everything about her was great. Uh, agreed. Uh, it's really interesting because like her her outfit uh, reminds me of something from Destiny. Yeah, it does. She looks like a guardian. She does. She really, really does. Uh, and so, in so to me, that that's one thing that's really kind of fascinating about this is she's even got know, a speeder that looks kind of like a sparrow, which is a rip off, does. which is a rip off of speeders in the first place, but it right. kind of looks like a Destiny Sparrow, yes. Well, and, and that's one of the, the to me that's one of the fascinating things about you know getting modern Star Wars movies from people who grew up with Star Wars as well as you know all these other influences, uh, you know that were influenced by star Wars, but are, you know, their own separate thing is that, you know, you're kind of starting to see this, this circular level of influence, you know, star Wars influences thing X, which influences star Wars. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm not an adult who collects toys. Really. I buy, I do buy the occasional Lego set and have it up in my study, but I haven't done action figures for a long time. But if I did, I think I'd be tracking down like a black series, Ethan Nest or whatever her name is like that. She's a cool looking character. I was convinced like as soon as she took her helmet off 
and you saw this, you know, curly haired, clearly, you know, intended to be, you know, a mixed race, uh, you know, woman of color. Uh, I was, I was convinced that it was going to be revealed that, uh, she was, you know, Woody Harrelson and Tandy Newton's love child. Yeah. That might have been a little too soap opera-ish. I, I but... think it would, it would have, it would have been interesting thematically, but I can see why if that was how it was originally written, why they'd want to kind of, uh, steer away from that. Yeah, there's a lot of talk, you know, of course the backstory for this movie is that, uh, Longtime Star Wars writer Lawrence Kasdan and his son wrote the film. Phil Lord and Chris Miller, who did uh, the Lego movie and the, the Jump Street movies, were hired to direct. And then they were fired, I, I guess, most of the way through filming, right? Uh, re- replaced by Ron Howard, who then reshot almost everything they did. Supposedly up to 80% or a bit more is Ron Howard's film. So there's a lot of guesswork about what parts are, are Lord and Miller. And what parts are Howard? But the thing I always keep pointing out is, is the reason Lord and Miller were fired is because they were apparently deviating from Kasdan's script. And Kasdan seems to be who Lucasfilm had, and Kathleen Kennedy had decided was the, was the foundation of the movie, what Kasdan wanted to do. So I don't think the story deviated much from what was originally planned. It was probably, well, I, it was probably just how the story was being played. It, Shot, it, it may it may not, but I mean, given how much was reshot, I think it's it. I mean, there's there's plenty of room for them to say like, hey, you know, this isn't going to work as well as we thought it would since we're reshooting most of the movie anyway. Let's go ahead and, and kind of, you know, edit around or reshoot uh, stuff involving this could have happened. We're never going to know. Have you ever read the uh, the making of Star Wars books by J.D. Yeah, Ritzler? yeah, yeah. Those are phenomenal books. I still need to get the uh, Empire and uh, Return of the Jedi one. The, actually, the best one is the Indiana Jones one that covers all four films. It's amazing. Really? I, it's, I didn't even know that one was out. It's incredible. Uh, but, yeah, so, I mean, those, those, like, those tell so much behind-the-scenes drama and stuff. Yeah, but I'm, Disney is, keeps a tight lid on this stuff. And as a matter of fact, there was supposed to be a Rinsler book about The Force Awakens, and I believe it's written, and they canceled it and refused to publish it. Oh, wow. See, I didn't know. I, I was not aware of that. So they don't like a lot of this behind the scenes stuff to get out. I think it'll come out eventually. Yeah, down the road. Uh, just, you know, give it, you know, give it five, maybe even ten years and it'll, you know, it'll come out. So then we should talk about Darth Maul, which when I saw the screening of it and he pulls back the hood and it's him, I, I audibly exclaimed, holy fuck, in the theater <laughs> but it wasn't so much because I was excited to see Darth Maul in live action again. It was more just because I always assumed there would be an invisible line between the movies and the rest of the the TV show, the comics, that sort of stuff. The TV shows, the comics. I assumed that you would see the TV shows and stuff barring stuff from the movies, but you would never see the movies barring stuff from the TV shows. And I assumed they would never throw anything back into the movies that might confuse movie-only audiences who don't watch The Clone Wars and don't watch Star Wars Rebels. And 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 basically, Maul showing up in this movie just blew all of that out of the water and said, nope, it's all canon. We're going to use whatever we want from wherever we want. Were you surprised by that? Uh, I I wasn't surprised because, unfortunately, I'd already had that, that uh, uh, reveal spoiled. For shame. 
I, you know, I, well, thinking about it now, are you surprised that they've gone in that direction? Or? I am a little surprised because, you know, I mean, it's one thing to have, cause you can see, uh, you know, in a couple shots of Rogue One, you can see Chopper from Rebels. As well, well, yeah, as but the, those are like little cameos. Those are right, like well, Easter that's, eggs. That's what I'm saying. That, that, you know, it's, it's a fun little kind of ha-ha. Look yeah. at this for, you know, eagle-eyed fans who watch and read everything. Uh, I mean, this, this is straight up, you know, I mean, I, I I don't really care much about Darth Maul as a character. Um, you know, even I I mean they did a really good job of bringing him back in Rebels. Uh and I hear they did as much in uh in the Clone Wars show. But I I absolutely adore Rebels to death. I mean, I I think that that is just some absolute top-tier Star Wars material. Yeah. I uh, agree. And so I, I I just hope this means that at some point we could see other live uh, action Hera, live action Hera. Like I don't, I don't want, I don't want any more Star Wars like original trilogy special editions. But if they saw fit to add in, uh, you know, a shot or two of Hera flying an X-wing in, you know, the first Battle of Yavin. <laughs> I, w- I would be totally cool with that. At any I point, would... Hera finds her way into a live-action movie. I will lose my mind. That's how excited I'll be. Way more excited than Darth Maul. Although I did think the Darth Maul thing was really cool. I think from a writing standpoint, it's a cool subversion of expectations. Because yeah, everybody in that theater totally thinks it's going to be Jabba or Boba Fett or one of the characters you would expect to show up at the end of a Han Solo movie. So just from like a screenwriting, you know, surprise your audience. It's a very nice subversion of expectations. Also good for Ray Park, right? Seems like a nice dude. Everybody I talk to that goes to Star Wars conventions loves that guy. He good. is a nice dude. Uh, one of my friends uh, cut in front of him at a Starbucks line one time. <laughs> and didn't get his ass kicked. And didn't get his ass kicked, amazingly enough. Nice. All right, Stu, so let's let's talk box office. Now, before we get into this, we want to reiterate, we both really like this movie and we're happy it was made. And I would watch a solo sequel right now, even though it's we might be unlikely to get one. We're agreed on this, right? 100%. But box office was not good. It was very soft in North America, and outside of North America, it was pretty much an outright disaster. I wrote an article that was published on cultspark.com about an hour before we recorded this saying that I think this is just a case of prequelitis set in, that moviegoers are now going to see the Marvel movies and to a lesser extent the Fast and Furious movies where each one builds on what happened before and everyone – it's all about what happens next. Well, what happens next? Well, what happens next? And Star Wars isn't doing that. They're jumping in and out of the timelines and they're giving us these movies where we know how they end. I mean, we know at the end of Solo, Han and Chewie are going to be together and alive, and that they're going to have a sort of chippy but friendly relationship with Lando, and that Han's going to get the Falcon. It's not going anywhere we didn't know going in. And I think that's what sort of hurt this film the most and had, I mean, super Star Wars fans and film nerds went to see it, but I think that's what kept general audiences away. Would you agree with that, Stu, or would, do you think it was something else? I've seen some I people would, saying it wasn't advertised properly. Where where are you laying the blame? I I would. It's it is a lot of different factors. Uh, you know, the advertising was I think part of it because like it feels like we didn't actually get any kind of trailer for this until like, except for like a month. You know, well because they had couple, to wait till the Last Jedi was 
close to through its run. Right. So I, I think the number one biggest uh, issue here is that it's too close. Uh, it's too. It was too close to the Last Jedi. It, it, Star Wars, like, because people are like, oh, well, they can release, uh, you know, three Marvel movies a year, and those make close to a billion dollars each. And I, I think the problem is, is that like, at th- by this point, people are conditioned to expect different things from Marvel movies. Uh, yeah, I. Uh, I whereas, wish... whereas with Star Wars, it's like it's always just Star Wars. Yeah, I agree entirely. And a matter of fact, that article I posted today, I tried to get this idea into that article, but couldn't find the appropriate place to put it, so I just left it out and decided and I like... ta- and decided I talk about it on the podcast today. Right. But Marvel and... movies can be different enough that you can get three a year. I right. mean, you can have. Like, you know, the Ant-Man films are comedies. The Guardians of the Galaxy films are kind of space adventure comedies. We get, like, fantasy movies with the Thor films. There's more right. serious ones. Like, they're all, yes, they're all superhero movies, but they play enough with genre that they feel different. Star Wars movies basically feel like Star Wars movies. In fact, I'd say Solo's the one that maybe feels the more most different because it's sort of this low-key Western sci-fi thing but it's still clearly a star wars movie and not a, a different genre from what we're used to right well in in, in so be, it too, be, because of, of that it's hot you can't really put out one of these a year or more than that they're just too samey well and, and some of it too is like people are still conditioned to treat star wars as an event right you know even even with getting one you know we even getting one once a year uh, we're getting them a year, literally a year apart because they always come out around Christmas, uh, and they are they are treated as big deals. This was treated as, you know, another just another summer blockbuster release. I mean, this this was not, uh, you know, this was not uh, treated by the studio and therefore not treated by uh, the movie going public as a big deal. So a couple of Marvel movies a year is what they quickly ramped up to. Where I mean, we spent. My whole life growing up, you got a Star Wars movie every three years, and then when the trilogy was done, you waited more than a decade for it to cycle back around. And that was the pattern all the way up through The Force Awakens. And it wasn't until Rogue One that we started with, okay, Disney owns this big Goliath franchise, it needs to make money off of it, we're putting one out every year. And just you're right, that's different than what its place in the pop culture world has always been. You know, so I, I think, uh, and yeah, and some of it too is, I mean, memor- like even though, like didn't the original come out like around Memorial Day? Yeah, all, they all came out in May until The Force Awakens. Right. <clears throat> and so, you know, I mean, I get kind of wanting, oh, it's Star Wars traditional place. But I mean, like people travel on Memorial Day. I mean, that that is a, you know, get in the car, go visit family, go somewhere kind of thing. And especially right now, you know, when the economy is is relatively pretty good. You know, people are going to go out and do stuff. School just got out uh, for a ton of kids. So, I mean, you know, you've got a lot of families going on vacation. They're on the road. Uh, it just wasn't I, – I don't think it was uh, – I don't think it was the right time to, to put it out there. And especially uh, when only just weeks before you had this absolute gargantuan, uh, you right. know, event, event movie – uh, with, uh, with Infinity War coming out and then, you know, Deadpool being some surprising competition. You know, I, I don't think that people are tired of Star Wars movies. 
I just think that they need to get prepared for Star Wars movies. You know, so there, uh, you know, there, there needs to be some, a little bit of a gap there. Well, we're going to have a gap now. It's going to be a, a year and seven months until episode nine. So that's probably a good thing at this point. And, and then again, I wrote it in an article today. I think they need to strongly consider where they're going after episode nine. If I was running Lucasfilm, I'd basically start a shared universe from that point forward and, and be looking everything chronologically after episode nine. Let's keep the series consistent. If you want to look back at old characters, classic characters, do it on the TV shows, make those prequels. Uh, I don't think that will happen. They just announced they're going to make a Boba Fett movie. Um, this Obi-Wan movie looks like it's still going to happen. I don't I think just, either of those happen. You think they I both think, get, you think they both get canceled now? I think the Boba Fett movie gets canned. Uh, we, I think of those of Kenobi or Fett, uh, I think probably the Kenobi movie has a greater chance of happening. The funny thing is, though, is the Obi-Wan movie hasn't been, even though everyone's reported on it, and I'm not talking about, like, blogs, but I'm talking about, like, Hollywood Reporter and Variety and stuff have said that it's happening. Disney hasn't officially announced that one yet. Where Boba Fett, they've now announced that they're working on it and hired James Mangold to write and direct. But I kind of agree with you, whereas the Obi-Wan one feels sort of more likely to happen because you have Ewan McGregor presumably coming back. We got Jedi, we got lightsabers, we got all that stuff. Plus, I mean, like, the masses care about Obi-Wan Kenobi. Right. Nobody but nerds care about Boba Fett. Nobody. No one. So, I bet, again, they just announced it, so we'll see. Um, we have these trilogies coming from the Game of Thrones guys and Ryan Johnson. I suspect that Ryan Johnson's trilogy is set after Episode Nine. That's just a total guess. But based on what, based on what he did in The Last Jedi and best, based on the last scene in that movie and how he made it a point to open up the world of the force to beyond yeah, just no, one agree. fam beyond just one family. I would agree. He's thinking post that time frame. Well, uh, the, the game of Thrones guys, who knows? Well, and then we've got John Favreau being the showrunner for the TV show, which I just read today that that's supposedly set between Jedi and the force awakens, just like the new animated series is going to be. But again, I'm okay with them jumping around the timeline for TV. Sure. It's going to be really interesting to see what they do now. Uh, so, uh, and what are the odds we get a solo sequel? Because you and I kind of want one now, right? I would I would love a solo sequel. Uh, I, If we get one, I will be absolutely shocked. Here's what I think they try to do. I think they tr they try to make a movie set in that time frame where they combine a bunch of different characters who are kicking around at that point, and Ehrenreich returns as Han, but maybe not as the central character. I would, okay, here's here's what I would bet that the Boba Fett movie turns into. I would bet you anything, like, we don't, we won't get a Lando movie, we won't get a solo sequel, it'll be the land, it'll be the Han, Lando, Boba Fett yeah. hour. Like that, if we get anything... Right, it's like they're yeah. going to just throw everything into that and try to make it work. We might see yeah. more Darth Maul, Jabba the Hutt's going to show up. Uh, if Aaron Reich's, even if Aaron Reich is at the center, you'll see less of him in the trailers. It won't be a movie about Han. It's not going to be called right. Solo 2. Um, I could see them maybe trying to do that. Yeah. Um, but, a, just a, but just a straight, you know, Solo 2, no, nah, we won't get it. 
Which again, I, uh, which is a shame. And I never thought that I would be lamenting that. It, right. It sounds like I'm contradicting myself saying, Hey, I love Solo. This is great. I want to see more movies with, with Han and Chewie and Kira at the same time while I'm saying, well, Lucas should stop making, Lucasfilm should stop making these and they need to make everything post episode nine. Well, I mean, the first one I would, I would sort of selfishly take, but if Lucasfilm wants to be a part of the pop culture conversation the way Marvel is, they need to do the latter. So it's kind of, I'm a little torn between what I want and what I think is probably best for their business and the en- enduring strength of the franchise. Kind, kind of two different things. But it, it makes it for an uncertain and for, for, for people that read the movie trades, I guess a somewhat exciting time to see what the heck they do now. <laughs> that Star Wars isn't just a sure thing and they can't just film anything they want and it'll make tons of money. It sounds like we both agree the year and a half break is going to be a good thing at this point. Oh, yeah, definitely. And hopefully J.J. Abrams knocks episode nine out of the park and it sort of resets everybody's, you know, sort of opinion on where they're at with Star Wars. Everybody's excited at the same level, excited about Star Wars again. And then we'll see where they go from there. Stu, that's all I got. Anything we missed about Solo we should discuss? You want to discuss? Uh, Yeah, I would be remiss if we didn't mention how freaking awesome Chewbacca is in this movie. We would be. I can't believe I forgot to bring him up during the character when we were talking about the characters, probably because it's a guy in a suit and not an actual actor. But it's it's the best Chewbacca film since The Empire Strikes Back. Oh, by far. I mean, this you get you get great, you know, even though you I mean, you have no idea what he's saying. I mean, like they actually managed to deepen and develop his character. Uh you get the absolute best action uh you've ever seen from him. Like his you know, you, yeah, you get to see him kick all kinds of ass. Uh, you know, he, I think the relationship, funny. the relationship between him and Han is so perfectly, perfectly written. I love how they meet. I, I love that little scene where Chewbacca's talking and it's not translate. Han's translating for him, and the part where Han gets a little solemn and he says he said either family or tribe. I'm not sure which one. Such good writing there, right? Yeah. Yeah, this of, of all the things that you know that were intended to feel like something uh, from the original trilogy, they absolutely had to nail this, and they did. Yeah, it it again. I'm going to apologize because it, it is asinine that we saved this until the last two minutes of the podcast. But the relationship between Han and Chewbacca is perfectly perfectly realized in this film, and probably the best reason to see it. So I'm glad you brought it up, Stu. Stu. I'm here. What more do you want me to say? What do you want me to say? I just want you to say, you're right, Bob. I agree. Everybody should go see Solo. It deserves well, to be more Well, of course I agree. I'm the one who brought it up in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're going to make me choke. Okay, I'm not pimping your book again at the end, Stu. We pimped it up front. It doesn't need it at the end. So just tell the nice people listening where they can find you on Twitter and say your goodbyes. Of course you need to pimp the Van Damage <laughs> Report Volume 1. Again, available on Amazon.com. <laughs> Uh, you can also find me at Stooby Doo on the Twitters, you know, and uh, yeah, that's, other than Facebook, social media, I really do. Yeah, you can find me at Robert B. Taylor on Twitter, and you can also follow Cult Spark at Cult Spark and search for it on Instagram and Facebook. You know what I've been thinking about, Stu? I've actually, I've never mentioned this to you offline. This is, I swear to people listening, this is the first time I have ever mentioned this to Stu. One thing I was thinking about is doing us recording an episode where we don't have a focused topic where it's entirely a Q and a 
where we let our online movie buddies either ask us questions, grill us about dumb opinions we've given in the past, challenge us about, you know, opinions we stick to today, and just see if we can get a half hour worth of material and address it. I'm down for that. The, the especially, question, if we could, especially if we could somehow have like a call-in show, that would be great. Yeah, like, I mean, the look, we're a little podcast. We do okay. We're happy with the listeners we have. We appreciate each and every one of you who listens. But the question is, is could we get a half hour to 40 minutes worth of material? But I think maybe we could. People oh, like yeah. to, listen, people on the internet like to tell us we're wrong all the time. Well, especially me. I get so much shit <laughs> yeah, well, from... To be fair, you are wrong a lot more than I am. So, so that, that might be fine, but... I, I, you know, we don't, I mean, I guess we'll maybe do I have it. bold opinions, Bob. <laughs> we, uh, I guess we maybe, since we're both fans of the franchise, we may do Mission Impossible in July, but we don't have a lot of other stuff on the horizon, so may, maybe we'll try to get this going and make it our next episode. I'm down with that. At Bob and, ask Bob and Stu anything, or just call them assholes and we'll respond. All right, let's do it. That'll be our next episode, Stu. Done. Uh, okay, so we've told you where you can find us. We've told you where you can f- find Cult Spark. If you would review us on iTunes or follow us on Facebook, we would love you forever. Uh, in the meantime, thanks for li- listening to this episode, and we will catch you all down the road next time in our next episode. Thank you. Goodbye. Goodbye.